welcome to the Lore Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season four, we focus on big ideas that will change our profession. On today's episode, we speak with lawyer and podcaster Graham McLennan about lawyers that are pulled toward their passion, but not necessarily away from the profession. I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hello, Darlene. That was take two. That was take, take one. I muted you and you were unable to say hello because of that. <laughs> I didn't realize you had the power to mute me. You don't exercise that power probably often enough on this Not pod. at least with technology. <laughs> <laughs> the edit later is a whole other story. Thank yeah. goodness. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to podcast and I'm excited to bring this interview to the world of Warrior Life Pod listeners. To prepare for this episode, which we talk about food a lot because of Graham's interests and background. And to prepare for that, I just had a delicious food treat. One of my indulgences, uh, breakfast cereal. I just had an afternoon bowl of breakfast cereal. Like healthy breakfast cereal or Lucky Charms or something? No, no, no. I would say like yeah, I'm quote unquote healthy, healthier. Yeah, definitely not a marshmallow or sugar based cereal. Okay. Like a nice, I would say adult cereal, but still makes it feel like it's treaty, you know? Just okay. a little tiny bit of sugar. It's great. <laughs> All right. Great chat, though. You could see that he was skilled with the gift of gab. Yeah. When we find other lawyer podcasters, we gather them around us and plan future episodes. That's what we do, or at least that's what we did this one time and might do again in future. But he was really interesting. And what jumped out for us was he has started this podcast where it's called Chef Timoni. And he talks about, he sort of merges his lawyerly interests with food and chefs and culinary things. And we thought that was really interesting and wanted to talk to him about his the way that he has pursued merging law and food in his life, I guess. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. not to spoil anything, but I think one of my favorite like little tidbits about a lawyer's life and decision-making is when he speaks about how practicing law reached out to a restaurant that he admired and asked like, hey, can I swing by on Thursday nights for free and just work in your kitchen? Because I just like this so much. And he did that. And I just... We talked about it in the episode, but I just so admire the lack of ego and the passion that he had to just do that thing. Um, mm -hmm. It seems so unstereotypically lawyerly. And, and for that reason, I found it really great. Yes. And we do get into it with him. Not so much the, the specifics of his interest, but more what is the experience of lawyers who are sitting there thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to be a lawyer. I have all these other interests. I have this creativity. What do I do about that? Graham. His story is one answer to that, and he's got some good feedback from the other side based on what he chose to do. So that's what yeah. I enjoyed about him, in addition to him being lovely to chat with. For sure. So why don't we go to that conversation? But before we do that, I'll introduce everybody to Graham. Graham McLennan grew up in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and came to Vancouver, British Columbia for law school. He was called to the bar of British Columbia in 1999. He practices as a securities litigator. From 2015 to 2017, Graham took time away from the office to work as a part-time traveling cook and chef. As a passion project, Graham now produces a podcast called Chef Demoni to maintain his connections to the culinary world. On Chef Demoni, Graham talks to chefs and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. And without further ado, here is Graham. 
Mike and Darlene, thank you very much for having me. I'm really, really excited to be appearing on your show. Welcome. So you host the podcast Chef Demoni. You are a securities litigator by day. Can you tell us when you decided to leave? So at one point you were doing law, you were, you have practiced in-house, you went to work in outside of private practice, but always in securities. And you came to a point in your career where you decided you would try something else. I made that switch. And one of the things that the new opportunity provided for me was just a little bit more time. The hour demands were simply not as intense as they had been in private practice. And I started looking around for, I, I actually remember thinking, thinking how fun this was. I got a library card, which I hadn't had in a long time. So I checked out some books on cooking, which has been a longstanding interest of mine. And I started spending a little bit more time with what had always been just a hobby. And then I thought, I really, there's only so much I can learn on my own here. So I started thinking about other ways to gain knowledge in this passion area of mine. So I thought, I wonder if I could go into a commercial kitchen. The only experience I had prior to that was a year or two in high school when I worked at a, at a hotel kitchen when I was going to school. But I wrote to both the owner and the chef of Bishop's Restaurant here in Vancouver. And it's this iconic restaurant. It's really one of the very first that established. And I said, look, can I come in? chef to your kitchen and observe and do whatever tasks you have for me because I just want to learn more. And um, did they know you were a lawyer in that letter? They ah, that's a good question. I think they did. So I went and met with chef at about three o'clock on a Saturday at the um, at the back door to bishops and we talked through my idea of coming in and I said, look, I have, I think I'm a pretty good cook in my home kitchen, but I have no pretense to commercial skills at all. So if you need somebody to peel potatoes in the corner, I'm happy to do that. And as long as I can see what the pros are doing. And, and so she very kindly had me in and that's exactly what I did. I peeled potatoes and I chopped vegetables, uh, ah. but observed the pros and what they were doing. And so long story, not especially short, but I'll, I'll shorten it as best I can. I, I did that one night and then I said, chef, look, that was so much fun. Thank you. Are you open to me coming back? And, and slowly that evolved into a, into a standing Thursday night appointment. So I would uh, leave my law office at uh, five-ish and I'd zip over to Bishop's and get out of the suit and into a chef's jacket and join the team. And I did that weekly for, for several years. And that's really where the the deeper dive uh, for me into the restaurant world started. I find that so fascinating. Well, there's many reasons why, but I, it's such a, you had no ego, it seems, or, mm -hmm. or issues with ego. Like, it, I feel like the, our profession is built up on a lot of things that can, can inflate people's ego. The big office, the fancy suit or dress, you know, the nice car, the assistant, all these sort of things, effectively to, to avoid all this manual labor work <laughs> like a lot of stuff you know we're up or in this like fancy tower doing our thing and you decided to just kind of get your hands dirty in, in a very real way have you always been that kind of person or did something happen in your life where you just thought you know what none of this means anything and i just want to do something that i really enjoy yeah it's a good question there is no point in in being anything but humble because that's where my skills would land me but it is interesting. I was thinking you were going to say something different with Mike, um, with his question, sort of, it could go another way. So starting at the bottom in the world of being, working with food and working with chefs, but also the ego that says, I'm a lawyer. 
And that is what I do. And I do not do other jobs or anything really. I think one of the things Mike and I talk about on this podcast is when you go through law school, you seem to go through this kind of ego, ego magnification factory where suddenly whatever you were before, you're not that anymore. You're this new thing called lawyer and it is your whole personality. And you don't seem to have been affected by that. I think it was a process that happened over time, Darlene. I, mean, I was thinking mm-hmm. about that while you were asking that question. And I think I, for me anyway, I spent enough time in private practice with the hours demands and the clients demands in that world to, to have reached a, you know, an honest conclusion that I, I needed to explore something else. But that wasn't an easy decision. And it did take some time. I'm just curious because you're obviously, so now you're balancing, you're back practicing, you have your podcast, Chef Timoni. So you've, you've done this kind of dual thing before. You, you did your like learning part-time internship thing on a Thursday night as you practice. Now you're doing podcasting as you practice. What do you take away? Like, why is it important to you that you have these creative outlets that differ from your nine to five or nine to whatever it is? Oh, right. It's, uh, it, it is just refreshing is the first word that comes to mind, Mike, in, in answer to your question. It is so different. Both cooking and podcasting is so different from the day-to-day of the practice of law that I find it either or both a necessary compliment. So I can think of one funny story that happened on the line at uh, Burdock, and I was working with a few people, but one of them, my friend Greg, who was uh, probably in his 20s at the time, and he said to me, he said, is being a lawyer in real life like like it looks being a lawyer on TV? And I thought, wow, I'm not sure how I'm going to capture my very strong answer to this question. And I said, well, this is what came to me. I said, I think being a lawyer in real life bears as much resemblance to being a TV lawyer as being a line cook does to being a celebrity chef. And he just went, oh, okay, I get Mm. it. Because as I like to say, nobody wants to watch 12 hours of document review or 12 hours of vegetable prep, but they're both necessary for the professions. But all of which to say, what do I get out of that now? There's much that I love about the practice of law, but I need another different, bigger creative outlet. And that's what cooking professionally provided for me. And that's what the podcast does for me now. It keeps me, you know, it doesn't keep me in that world, but it keeps me connected to that world. And it's just so completely different from what I do with the rest of my day that I find it rejuvenating. I think that's really the answer. And is it, I guess my my follow-up on that would be without it, without this outlet, what potential problem would present itself? What problem does this solve for you? You're being proactive, right? And, and if you didn't have it, then what? Hmm. It's a good question. I don't know. I would, I think without outlets in our life for passions that we have, we may unduly, unfairly emphasize the importance of other pieces in our life that, that could become problematic. So that's, that's a rambling way of saying that for me, a balance is necessary. And I like working hard in the law, but I don't want to do it to the exclusion of everything else. And I don't want, I don't want all of my meaning in life to come out of the practice of law. I'm Mm -hmm. quite jealous. I, I suspect, you know, people like this as well. I don't know that many of them, honestly, but there are a few people that I know that absolutely love the law that when they go home at night, they're reading cases and they're completely unrelated to their to their files and their and their practice. But they just love it so much that there isn't even 
a question for them. I'm not one of those people. And so I think if I wasn't doing this, I might be trying to extract more meaning from my job than I think it can provide for my personality type. And, I like that. It's, we talk often about how it's very easy to think you are your job title, right? And that is where your value to your, yourself, your family, your community, whatever, that's where your value is, it derives from. I am a senior partner at X place, or I am right. general counsel here. And it's just a very easy way to put yourself up and say, oh, that's who I am. This kind of feels like an anecdote to that, right? Because certainly that if you're spending so much time dedicated to this second passion, then you're not just the title, right? You're right. That's something you do, but this is also something you do. Yeah? Yes. Yep. I think that's exactly right. So Darlene, I'm curious, have you ever had the experience of practicing law, but wishing you were elsewhere? Um, so like in a similar way? Yes, I have. In my early, it's funny, my, my uh, friends that I worked with early in my career, we actually share this experience. So the office tower that we worked in was attached to a mall. So you would walk in out of the subway and you would pass Starbucks and all these places. And I was on one really challenging file. And I would, I would arrive at the office sort of as soon as the subway opened kind of that file. And I would be the one calling the security to keep the lights on for me in the tower at night when everyone left. And I will tell you that many mornings during that file, it was a litigation matter. I would walk in and I would look at the baristas at Starbucks who were making the whatever drink for me. And I would think, what a great gig. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that for several days in a row. And then I kind of checked myself and I was like, okay, I don't want to work and make coffees. I have done my years in the service industry and the restaurant industry. That's not it. But this is sort of the fact that I feel this way is is a sign that this is not for me. I don't want to do this. Uh, Not just that one file, but the lifestyle. There were a bunch of things that it was pointing me to. And so I paid attention to the fact that I felt that way. And I did act on it shortly thereafter not to go and work in uh, the barista world, but more to be in something I loved to do. And what, what appealed to me, honestly, about what they were doing was that it seemed not very stressful. It seemed mm. like you go, you have your shift, you leave, and no one is calling you for to have a, at the time it was sort of the late 90s, no one is calling to get like a, a macchiato courier to their house urgently. <laughs> 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 you know, like there were some right. things about it that were pretty funny. So I've definitely felt it and I acted on it. And I know a lot of people in my, in the various years since law school have felt the same. Mike, you have as well. I think I, I think I know that, but tell us about it. Wait, I'm curious as to what you think I, what, what the, what, do you have a story <laughs> well, of mine that I've told you? I don't have a story, but I know that you made a shift. So I don't know what the triggering moment was mm. for the big move from the firm to uh, in-house, but yeah. Yeah. I don't oh, think yeah. I... I mean, I, for me, I just, I, yeah, there was a few moments that when I was in the big firm world where it just, I knew it wasn't a total alignment for me and, and I went to try something else and that was good. I think, I think in general, the only time I find myself kind of longing for a non-law role is because, well, we're, we're still involved in the ent- entertainment world, darling. Um, being entertainment lawyers, I just love that world so much. I love mm-hmm. the energy of being on set or being at a live concert. It is just, there's just something so special about it. And I, and having worked in TV before, that's like, I just, sometimes I just wish I could dive back into 
producing or helping to produce a like a daily television show because there's there's something about that energy energy i think graham in a lot of ways oddly uh, it would be similar to a kitchen mm. there's just so many people with defined roles it's fast paced it's high pressure you have a defined timeline you have like an output that you know you have to deliver and the the type of communication people use is very different but at the end of the day all of you know that together you created this thing yes. and it's tangible and then you can sit at when it's done and feel like wow we got through that we, together yeah yeah we did that and it exists and it, i'd be curious for for thoughts from both of you on that point so to put it in the the restaurant context the food context which i know it's very close to the point you just made mike which is you finish your shift you've pumped out the meals you've had the reaction from the guests hopefully that's been positive but you're done you clean up yeah. and you do your prep for the next day and you go and to darlene's point nobody's calling you to curry over dessert <laughs> although i suppose that's changing Maybe, these days. yeah that could yeah, be different now it could be yeah. a little different now but what i didn't have during my cooking days was some of that I don't know, more existential anxiety that I think a lot of lawyers deal with, whether you're on the solicitor's side or the litigation side, because there is always something to think about, to worry about. Did I do this? Did I do that? And that mm -hmm. existed less for me in the cooking world. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. curious about the experiences you two had in the, in the other worlds you explored, if it was more compartmentalized day to day. Well, I think the one we talk, I, there's two things I want to say on this. And, and they're, I think, the things that are through lines through our podcast. Number one is that lawyers are expected to create perfect outputs. And that's a lot of pressure, right? Like you are expected to submit the most convincing argument mm -hmm. or draft the best contract and not mess up. Like that is, it just it's is a, an imperative of lawyers, right? For a chef or in my instance, like a segment producer in a television show, you can still have a very good dish or a very good three minute comedy segment with mistakes in it. Right. And that's kind of accepted. And because there's these, there's limited resources as it relates to time and other things, there's an allowance for it. And it's like mostly about get what you need to get right. And we just accept that some stuff won't be perfect. Right. That is, I don't know. It, it, it feels like a different expectation level. And it's fun to play with something like that instead of just being in the legal world where you feel like you could, like a comma can't be out of place. Right. So that's the first thing I would say on that. The second thing, and we've talked about this before too, is how nice it is to celebrate accomplishments. And we don't have that really in our field. And I don't know, you, if you being involved in litigation, maybe it's different because there is more of a start and end to a, to a file, I would guess, than perhaps what solicitors uh, we experience. But I really do long for a time where uh, together as a team, lawyers can say, like, we need to get together. I mean, <laughs> COVID times aside, we need to get together and celebrate what we have done this quarter or on this file or this year, because I think that's team building it, and it also drives interest and passion and a whole other great secondary kind of secondary effect. I mean, I think as you were talking about the, um, well, a bunch of things that you said kind of coalesced for, to give me this thought. I am one of those people who I actually really love the law. I really like the issues. I like the I like going deep on law stuff. Mm -hmm. I have sort of a litigator's appreciation for these nuanced issues. Like I do like that. I think it's partially from my training, but 
Um, I've always been interested in the issues that are presented by law and, and being thoughtful about them. I think when I went into the music industry, I would say that I, I experienced something I did not experience in private practice prior to. I do, ex I do continue to experience it now, which is just this real, almost like a, it's not quite a thrill would not be the correct word, but it's just like the joy of doing something where there's a match between my, my skills and my interest. For me, that was the big thing. Like, so I was aware when I tell the Starbucks story, I mean, I would, that to me was just a little sign that something wasn't right about the overall way that I was living my life at the time. But what I really, really loved about working at a record label was that I had spent my whole life preparing for that job. I had been studying for it since I was a small <laughs> child, right. um, playing records. And I know a lot about music and I I love music and I have an appreciation for the architecture of the industry. And it was very organically natural for me to be there. So I think that that was a real relief when I left the, the firm, because in the firm, obviously as a junior, certainly, and, and I'm sure it changes later, but you don't really fit into a, it's not comfortable <laughs> at first. Um, and I didn't know anything about any of the files that I was working on. I had no mental architecture for them. So for me, that was the big comforting thing. And, you know, now if we fast forward to now, because I think the interesting question that flows from this is what do we, what can other lawyers who are dreaming of a change kind of Im both import into their life in a not life upending way? I don't, I'm sure there's a better <laughs> word for that. And what can they sort of take from what we're talking about here? Because we're all people who have to some degree left the traditional practice we are all doing something creative for a chunk of the week. And I'll tell you, podcasting for sure, for me, was definitely out of my comfort zone and something I had no mental architecture for, which Mike could record a whole episode about himself <laughs> <laughs> one day. The, the behind the scenes. He's totally just yeah. dishing on all the... <laughs> all it would the be people. such a thrilling episode involving So the first Annie. episode, she couldn't even use the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, first, never mind. It's like the 20th episode. It still happened. It happened today. It happened today. It seems to me that there are an awful lot of creative people who become lawyers. And then maybe they, we are confronted with the reality of legal practice, which can be and is interesting in many, many ways, but it's also a lot of hard work and occasionally drudgery. You've just got to plow through those documents, whatever the um, whatever the file type may be. And so I think that leaves people, it leaves creative people who may have whatever their interest is, screenwriting or endurance running or cooking or music, longing for those outlets. So my take on it, having done both a little bit, having dipped my toe into it, and then having stepped away from the world of law and come back. And I'm glad I did both of those things. I'm glad I took the, the bigger leap and took more time and really looked at at cooking as a as a possible different career. But what I would what I would encourage people to do is take small steps to explore what they want to explore. So mm. take screenwriting. I don't I don't know the specifics, but join a group, get um, take a course, dedicate like dedicate some genuine time to it. Don't just sit there and think, oh boy, I'd really like to be a screenwriter. But the only way that's gonna happen is if I can finally get rid of this legal career that's been taking 70 hours out of every week, and then I can go and do a master's in screenwriting and, and start my career there. I don't think that's practical for most people. We've all got 
demands and, and rent or mortgages and that we need to take care of. So my take would just be start to explore it in, in a small way, but not in a putting it off way. Sign up for a course, get into a group where you're going to have some accountability from other people, volunteer with, uh, that, was a, that was a linchpin of my uh, exploration of cooking and it really worked well for me. But I think also take, you know what, I was, I was struck by the episode that you two did on, on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And, and the point that is coming back to me now that one or both of you made was that she took a long view of what she wanted to accomplish and mm. worked, obviously, for decades to accomplish all of the many incredible things that she accomplished. So. I'm not comparing any other lawyer to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I think that's a perhaps a piece of wisdom that we could all take um, take concrete steps along the way and make sure you're exploring something honestly, but don't feel like you have to sort it out. Next, I week. love I love that advice because the other thing is you have so much pressure. We are people who put a lot of pressure on ourselves, and I think that to just drop law and go do something else is a lot of pressure. I mean, I've when I decided that I wanted to start something, when I left my in-house counsel job, I had decided I wanted to start some kind of business, but I was not yet sure what it would be. And I did some traveling to think about it, frankly, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during that time, I felt I felt sort of like I wished I had had a plan <laughs> before <Right>. <laughs> because <laughs> it was it was a lot of pressure. And I think that I don't know if but for that pressure, I don't know if it would have been a law firm. I'm not sure if that would have been. Mm. So I think that you can know that you need to make a change, which I did. You can know that you need something a bit more creative. Definitely knew that. I just, for me, that there are two things. Starting my own, uh, starting Interalia in 2013 and doing, not being part of a large uh, international organization with its own existing structure and business model was very freeing for me. That was a form of creativity for me. And then a few years later, I started to realize, oh no, podcasting is something that I would like to do. Blogging, finding a way to to sort of express creative thoughts, not just always lawyerly thoughts. Although, I mean, it's a mix here. But I think that was helpful. And I would just recommend exactly what you said. Same thing. Just try it. It might seem great. And then you go do it and you think, no no way, or not enough intellectual stimulation, or, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. I really can't deal with the ego hit or whatever, but at least trying it in that sort of uh, baby steps way helps there. That's, that's great advice. Yeah, I I think it does. It gives people options. And to your point, it might help people answer the question, oh, boy, no, I don't want to do whatever I'm considering. But you also might find um, quicker than you than you think a way that you can do it sustainably for the long term. So I stick with my screenwriting example. Maybe you find a community theater group and you become a producer there and that just works for you. That's enough in that world. But you're never going to know until you try to give some very trite advice. That's great. Okay, so I think it's good to to leave this part of the conversation on that. Um, We'll move now to take a break and come back with our goods and gripes. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. 
Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and gripes are things that annoy us. Graham, do you have a good or a gripe? I do. I've got one of each, and I'm going to situate them in the in the culinary world because that's the world I like to talk about the most. And the first one arises really as a response to the to the pandemic challenge. And the good that I see are grassroots community movements coming together to support independent restaurants, to support food producers and to support employees of these organizations because wow have i rarely felt so privileged to be an electronic paper pusher because i'm able to work from home and my career and job has not really been impacted as so many others have and the restaurant world has really really been impacted by covid-19 so a couple of examples breaking bread now is really a, a across Canada organization that's doing work to support independent restaurants and to give people ideas about how you can support restaurants now, whether that's going for contactless delivery or curbside pickup or buying gift cards for later use. Another smaller organization that caught my eye is the Vancouver Food and Beverage Community, and it's really done some wonderful work in raising money and distributing it to uh, restaurant employees who have been put out of work. And and in Vancouver, particularly, I'm sure Toronto is the same, just plain expensive places to live. It's hard enough as a line cook to to live in one of these cities and then to be hit by the pandemic, obviously catastrophic. So uh, that is the good that I see uh, on the culinary side through the through the pandemic, these grassroots community initiatives. They're doing really impressive work. Awesome. Those are good ones. <laughs> Darlene? Mine? Oh, I was going to say, Mike, you go next. You go next, <laughs> Just to vary it up. Well, I, I think I only have a gripe right now. I had a good, but it's... Oh, you know what? I have, I have a very simple good. It's embarrassingly simple. I'm just really pro soda water right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, I like that. That's a what do you mean right position. now? <laughs> uh, I just... So for various reasons, I now have a mini fridge in my like home office and I, and I have some cans of soda water in there. I'm plowing through them. It makes me super happy. Uh, and I'm just really high on soda water. So yeah, that's my good. It's kind of a high roller thing to have a, an office mini fridge. I know. I, you should see this. It's great. <laughs> I know, I never... I'm, I'm envisioning this and thinking, what a great idea. My husband yeah. has been lobbying for a, a mini fridge in our living room for like as long as we've been married, which is like a long, <laughs> long time. I don't know why. We just, I mean, to me, it seems like uh, not a good use of space, but in an office, I don't know. Maybe that's the compromise we could go for. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I have a gripe. It's food related because of Graham's presence. My gripe is cleaning my cast iron frying pan. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, if you have any tips, Graham, I am open to them. But goodness gracious, sometimes I'm just not, I know I'm not doing it right. Sometimes I <laughs> use water and I feel so horribly guilty. Um, you, you, I don't pretend to be any cast iron expert, but I will say relying on uh, seriouseats.com, which is, I find a great website, a really good resource for all sorts of cooking techniques. If you, if you look up their cast iron maintenance program, you might feel some relief, Mike, because wow. not only do they allow you to use water, they allow you to use soap. 
<gasps> which I know, right? Which most people will <laughs> look very scant at you for doing. Yeah. So I've actually been following their approach for a long time now. I use a little bit of water. I use a very tiny bit of soap, but I do use it. Then I rinse it really well. And then I put it on a super low flame. Wait yeah. till it gets thoroughly dry, about a teaspoon of oil, rub it in. And, and that seems to be working well. So, Oh, well, you've made me feel so much better. Thank you. <laughs> Aren't you glad you brought that up? Yes. <laughs> now you have a tip and a website. I'm going to like have a dream. soda water to celebrate. Soda water to celebrate your <laughs> newly, a newfound approach to cast iron maintenance. Yeah. Graham, do you have a gripe? I have one. Yeah. It's something I've been thinking about recently with, again, the impact of, of COVID-19 on the, on the restaurant and the food production world. And it's just, I wish, I wish we as a society had more discussions around the real cost of food. And it's a, it's a huge topic and it can range from uh, fast food and seemingly cheap options. And are, are they really putting the cost of that food elsewhere? Are there environmental costs? Are there labor costs? And, and there's, there's a lot of work. And, and I think that's an area worth exploring too. What really strikes me now though is, and I know I'm in a privileged position to be able to make the food choices that I make. So I absolutely acknowledge that. And I would be encouraged if more people got into the discussion around the real cost of food. Because independent restaurants, although their pricing appears high, and it is, it's expensive to go eat beautifully prepared food in a nice room, the margins of profit that they're operating on for the few restaurants that are actually profitable are so thin. And if they're sourcing their product locally from producers who care and who produce vegetables and who produce meat ethically, those people have high input costs as well. And so, yes, the organic produce is very expensive. Yes, independent restaurant meals can be very expensive. Personally, I think they are worth supporting. And what I would like to see more is, is, is just more discussion around that whole topic on why does this kale cost $5 versus what I could get it for if it's trucked in from miles or countries away down at the local grocery store. There's my gripe. Okay, well, Graham, thanks so much for joining us. You are certainly a pro. Uh, really appreciated uh, the time and the conversation. And Darlene, I guess we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks to you both. I really enjoyed the talk. Thank you. Okay. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.